0: Welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power. And with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, Jenny Corwin, Hello. our lead analyst for travel, and Andrea Stokes, our new practice leader for hospitality. So Mike and Jenny and Andrea, welcome.
1: Hello.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: So before we dive into the topics today, we do want to um, acknowledge, acknowledge the fact that we're um, – about a month into the the crisis and it's a very challenging situation for everyone. And so we're wishing everyone the best. Uh, So let's kick it off with a a conversation around uh, what the airlines and the hotels are doing around their loyalty programs. And uh, it looks like uh, we're seeing from announcements from both the airlines and the hotels uh, around extensions for uh, expiration of their, um, uh, points and miles uh, and also extension of uh, status so Mike andrea Jenny um, what, what's happening here and, and how does that impact the the, uh, the traveler and the gust
1: well i'll jump in first um, so delta and united first delta and then very quickly thereafter united decided to extend people's status um, into the next year and then change some of the requirements of going into 2022. Um, And this is really just a a reaction that I think that they've made the same calculation that we have at J.D. Power, which is that the business traveler is going to be the first one to get them back in business and um, provide a decent revenue for a seat. Uh, As as we've mentioned before on this webinar, about 70, 75% of an airplane is filled with leisure travelers. These people don't have to travel and they can pick and choose when they want to travel. And they're probably going to have the longest lead time as far as getting that confidence back. And I think that the airlines are betting that the business traveler will be back first. They want to reward them, make sure they're happy and that they stay loyal to that particular airline. So that's the reason reason for some of the extension. And some of the other minor things are that they've maintained their requirements for spending levels, even though United dropped them a little bit. Um, you know, you're still going to have to spend money. And again, that's going to be another little bit of an incentive for that business traveler to keep spending money on a particular airline to get, you know, to maintain their status going in through 2021 uh, and into 2022.
0: Th- thanks, Mike. Uh, Andrea, Jenny, do you want to jump in on this one?
2: Well, sure. Just on the hotel chains, um, you know, they are uh, doing the same thing, um, which is, which is great. I think, um, you know, the, the initial kind of re- response to the crisis was to, make sure that everyone um, realized the flexibility they would have in canceling reservations or, um, you know, getting refunds for any prepaid hotel stays. So a lot of that communication I think has um, sort of sunk in with the, with the travelers. And now the hotel, the large chains and the large loyalty programs have shifted the focus to their members and what, what they're doing, um, for the members specifically. So I, you know, the hotel chains are doing the same thing regarding status and extending status into 2021, Um, points that may have expired this year. I think they are, you know, waiving that expiration, um, and maybe those points won't expire until next year, for example. So it's, as Mike was saying, it's all about flexibility and trying to be as flexible as possible for program members.
0: Thanks, Andrea. Uh, Jenny, from, from the analyst perspective, how do you see this playing out and, and then the impact on satisfaction?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think from when you, when you think about it from a satisfaction perspective, this really was the logical choice. Um, and, and it's more of a... Loyalty retention advocacy perspective. When you really think about it, um, airlines and hotels alike have done a really good job of creating this this gamification, right? Where you actually feel like you've achieved something pretty monumental when you move up in a level of status. And so, when you achieve that, you know what the things that come with it are: a sense of pride, and then you want to talk about it, and then you want to promote it, and you're loyal to that brand because you're getting something back from that relationship at that point um, that others may not be getting. So uh, it it made sense logically that, you know, airlines and hotels are not ever not going to want everyone to start over from from nothing at once. So, uh, and, and Mike was right to say that, you know, business travelers are probably going to be the first ones to come back. So, Um, to, to recognize, you know, their commitment to each other, right? We were all in this together and the airlines need us business travelers just as much as we need them at this point. So, uh, it really did make sense. And, and of course, some of those benefits that you do get with status, uh, do increase overall satisfaction. Um, but more, uh, on the loyalty and retention side is really where you're going to see this play out, I think.
0: Okay. Thanks, Jenny. Mike, sticking with the airlines, we continue to see changes and announcements around um, uh, process and procedures, especially for things like uh, boarding. And so, an uh, announcement uh, recently from, coming from Delta around the change in um, uh, their process uh, where they're going to move to a um, back to front model.
1: Yeah, and this, you know, as Jenny pointed out when we were discussing this before the broadcast is that um, you know? this has always been pointed out when we get comments in our airline study of why, does, why don't the airlines load from back to front seems to make the most sense. And the reason why they don't do it is very obvious in that they want to reward, as we were talking about in the first segment, you know, their loyal passengers who've got a status and they want to treat them uh, as a special traveler to cement that loyalty and get them to be, as we call it at J.D. Power, true believers in the particular brand. So that's why they do it, despite the fact that it, you know, operationally, it's not the most efficient. Uh, operationally, the most efficient, as we've said before in this webinar, is, okay, everybody get on the plane, um, because the most motivated people will get on the plane first and get settled, and the least motivated people will be the ones that were always holding up the line to begin with. Uh, but what they want to do is they want to try and minimize the you know, walking past someone in a very close space, which is the aisleway there. And um, so that's probably the closest you're going to get to anyone as you're trying to move around within that constricted space. Um, you're getting very, very close to them. If I'm sure everybody can remember, and probably everybody's going to be a little sensitized to it as it goes forward. However, they're still allowing the first class and business class passengers to load first. And then they're starting with the back of the plane, despite you know whatever status you might have. And it does make sense uh, in that it does somewhat minimize the, contact you're going to have although really it's kind of a moot point as planes are you know having a load factor or a percentage of seat filled that's probably in the low double digits not single digits for a lot of flights so at this point it's relatively you know ineffective because you're going to maintain social distance no matter what on an aircraft as you're loading it today but as we ramp back up uh, i'm sure they're going to uh, you know loosen those restrictions and then start loading in their normal, typical processes that they have in the past years.
0: Okay. Thanks, Mike. Um, Same topic then on uh, airports, uh, where, again, we're going to see change in uh, in process um, when people start flying again. Uh, This time, uh, we saw a recent article um, about an airline trialing technology that will monitor temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate of uh, any person who's checking in or even just uh, viewing a information kiosk. So is that something that we should expect to see across all airports?
1: Yeah, and we've mentioned this uh, actually in the last webinar that this is something that's actually very easily done with the software package um, that they have. The biometrics that recognize your face can also, because you're standing so close to it, easily take a remote uh, temperature. Now, the, the again, the flaw in this system is <laughs> with COVID-19, you can be, uh, you know, an infector of other people without having symptoms. You don't have to be running a fever at all. But this is just one of those little steps that the airlines can take to insulate themselves, you know, from potential lawsuits and also reassure their passengers that they're doing everything they possibly can to minimize the chance that someone's going to be infected with COVID-19. Now, whether it's effective or not in real, real life, that's something to be seen it would probably eliminate the most egregious people who are running a fever uh, and have active symptoms, uh, prevent them from getting on the airplane. But they're already in the airport uh, right there. So I'm not too sure exactly how effective this is going to be, but it's easily implemented with today's biometric technology.
0: Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Andrea, let's move the conversation to hospitality. Uh, What are we seeing from the big hotel brands, uh, especially when it comes to... um, uh, to things like, uh, corporate social responsibility.
2: Yeah. So, um, while, you know, occupancy is, is down and in fact, right, the lowest probably that it's, that it's ever been, uh, hotels, uh, have capacity. And so the large chains such as Marriott, Hilton, Best Western and others are, um, kind of incentivizing uh, their owners to uh, open up their hotel rooms to medical staff. So they are partnering with medical associations and they're partnering with local um, in the local community to open up uh, hotels for uh, medical workers and uh, frontline workers. And so I, um, I I think it's, it's really is, um, a great way to kind of use, uh, the space that they have, you know, hotels are empty right now. So, um, I think it's, um, a positive, uh, step for the hotel chains to, to take. And, you know, obviously the, the big chains needed to have the owner, the hotel owners on board with this, um, with this idea, but, uh, I think it it really does uh, kind of give a sense of um, how you know hotels are definitely important to local communities, and they're trying to do their part uh, to kind of fight the fight the fight right now.
0: Okay, great, thanks, Andrea, uh, Jenny. Sticking with hospitality, uh, we know that one of the things that will be front and center as the market um, and the industry begins to recover and people start traveling again, uh, will be hygiene and cleanliness. Uh, Saw a recent article about um, coming out of Singapore where the uh, tourism board there will be actually auditing hotels for uh, hygiene and cleanliness and giving them a stamp of approval. So is that something that we see as uh, being important uh, also in um, North America? And, and should we expect similar types of initiatives?
3: I, I don't know that we'll get to that level, um, you know, where it's coming from the tourist board or a government organization. But I, I can see a future state where there are some sort of cleanliness certifications. Um, the specific thing here, right, there already are cleanliness certifications that are required, particularly around food service and things like that with the hotels. So there's a lot of requirements that are already mandated by states and municipalities. And so, The thing that differentiates the Singapore certification is they are really specific measures to stopping the spread of of a a virus like this. So, um, you know, they're actually marking certification around, um, you know, their ability to social distance, um, having a plan in place for, um, you know, medical care if something is needed, right? So these are the kinds of things I think may come into the spotlight a little bit more as the economy begins to open up. And this is really particularly centered around um, meeting and event spaces too, and making sure those are properly cleaned, right? Um, it's a little bit different of a process. The standards may be a little different than the existing hotel cleanliness standards. But I do think, um, you know, as we start to travel again, we may see some differences in the way we do things, uh, you know, having more social distancing in lobbies, more space between tables and restaurants. Those are kinds of things that we may expect to see in the near term um, until until this really dies down and, and they may linger well into the future.
0: Okay, thanks Jenny. Mike uh, Taylor then, just finishing up with rental car, uh, a recent um, event uh, happened down in Southwest Florida where uh, they parked a bunch of uh, unused um, or idle, I suppose, rental cars on a grassy field and the field caught on fire, unfortunately, and it and, and, um, uh, looks like they lost several in the fire. So uh, is, is, um, number one, why, why did that happen? I suppose that's related to COVID, but uh, number two, is that going to impact the market at all?
1: Well, indeed it is related to COVID um, in that they, you know, this is down in Fort Myers, Florida, and they were repositioning cars down there as they do every spring for spring break. Uh, where families and uh, college-age kids um, go down to rent cars and have a good time down there during springtime. That didn't happen this year with COVID. So they had all these cars that normally would be out and about and parked in uh, hotel parking lots uh, that were hanging about the lot, and it filled up very fast. So they had parked them in a grassy area that's you know, very, actually very flat and very open. Uh, just to store them, uh, the grass caught on fire and 3,500 cars or so burned up in the space of about 18 hours. So this really is a direct result of COVID canceling spring break and having a direct impact on many rental car companies uh, who are parking their cars there. Um, it will make a dent in the, in the market. Probably not, uh, simply because there is going to be a glut of cars uh, on the market. Uh, as we come out of this recovery. So we it really won't affect pricing or availability because there's just going to be so many cars available uh, while the rental car market is, at, is as depressed as the entire, entire travel industry is uh, until we're past this COVID crisis.
0: Okay, thanks. So Mike, Jenny, Andrea, thanks for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
0: And uh, thanks to our listeners for joining as well to learn more about the JD power travel practice. Please follow us on LinkedIn uh, or you can visit us on the web at jdpower.com slash business. And we'll see you next time.